Good morning. Good morning. morning. Would be nice if, may it be so, actually made it be so. <laughs> what, what did you say, Kitty, about the Lennon song? Yeah, war is over if you want it. And then the kids are singing. The kids are singing that, and they're my age. And right. Still, still having all these wars. Right, right. And, we always, and the kids are our future. Except our future is us, and we suck. <laughs> That's why we say, oh, our kids are our future. And then they'll become us, and they'll suck. <laughs> because humans suck. Right? Humans are not great. All the stuff that we don't like is stuff that we do. And we create all these ways to excuse what we do, but we keep doing it, right? We say, oh, we project it onto other people. They're the evil ones. They're the bad ones. They're the, the, the ones that, that come from Satan. But it's just human madness that does all this stuff. So we come to this season, and we talk about, oh, it's dark and it's getting light. But that's just hemispheric prejudice, right? <laughs> Yeah, right? It's just our northern hemisphere. Oh, it's all about us. But really, in the southern hemisphere, it's, it doesn't, none of this works, right? So it's just stories that we tell ourselves. But there is something intrinsically wrong with us. Now, Christians call it original sin, and they make it a sexual thing, right? And as much as I like sexual things, what they do, it is wrong. <laughs> but there is something wrong with us. Einstein, Albert Einstein, I think, expresses clearly what's wrong with us. And I probably have shared this with you before, because I think it's something that we've got to keep in mind. I'm going to read it to you. He wrote this, I think, in 1953, 55 maybe. But anyway, this is what he said. He said, a human being is part of the whole, what we call universe. A part limited in time and space, our little human part, but we're part of this vast, infinite whole called universe. We experience ourselves, our thoughts, and our feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. Now, he calls it optical delusion because he says it's biological. It's because of the way our eyes are placed in our heads. Because of the way our eyes are placed, when I look at you, you seem out there, separate from me. I'm here, you're there. There's real different distance between us. And then we define or mistake distance for difference, and then difference makes us nervous, and then you're my enemy. Unless we can somehow make a club, right? So, it's a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. The delusion of consciousness is the delusion of separation, of duality. This delusion, back to Einstein, this delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circles of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. That's the work. 
call it spiritual work, religious work, whatever you want to call it. But the work of the human being should be to end the delusion of consciousness, this dualistic delusion, and to widen our circle of compassion to embrace all reality, all living things. Nobody, he says, is able to achieve this completely, but striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation and a foundation for inner security. This should be our work. But nobody wants to do this. What we do instead is we join clubs. We do what he's, he calls um, restricting ourselves to our, in our personal desires to affection for a few persons nearest to us, and then we say, okay, a few more. So we make clubs. Right? We make clubs about race, we make clubs about gender, make clubs about uh, ethnicity, religion, nationality. Oh, these are my clubs. Right? I belong to the Jewish club. And so my club defines how I dress, how I eat, who I can love. How, you know, all, all the things about me is defined by the club I join. Of course, I didn't join it. My parents joined it and they told me I was a member. Right? <laughs> And you, can, you might belong to a different club. Your club may hate my club. My club may hate your club. Your club may eat differently than my club. Right? All these different things. But somebody made it up. Out of thin air. Just so they could have a club. So we create all these clubs. But then you have to have fun. So clubs ought to have uniforms. So we have to dress alike. And then we love flags. We love flags. <laughs> so we have flags, and we wave the flags. And yesterday, I went to graduation. My son got his PhD yesterday. And we stood, yeah, thank you. I should put a rock in there. <laughs> and um, we stood, and we, we, we sang the national anthem, which is all about our flag waving in the air while bombs are blasting around. I mean, why don't we sing America the Beautiful? No, we gotta sing the waving flag and the bombs. You know, because what's more cool than our flag in bombs? Because that's cool. Of course, it's more cool if your flag is, blood, is drenched in your blood because we're bombing you. But we love waving flags and fighting because that's what it's all about. When you have, when your life is defined by this optical delusion of consciousness. Breaking that delusion is what's absolutely necessary if we're ever going to have peace on earth, if that's even possible. You've got to break that delusion. So we do other things. I mean, we try politically and socially and economically and religiously. We have all these other things. We try to tweak uh, our situation to make it a little bit better. But fundamentally, those things, while they don't hurt and they may help, the fundamental thing that has to be done is you and I, as individuals, have got to free ourselves from this optical delusion. That's the work of spirituality. That's the work of meditation. That's the work that supposedly leads us to enlightenment. So a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated, those of us who have the world's religion calendar, you're looking, oh, look, it was Buddha's Enlightenment Day. That's, I think it was December 8th was Buddha's Enlightenment Day. So on Buddha's Enlightenment Day, you can read the Buddhist Sutra, the Buddhist Sutra, Mahasakaka Sutta. And in, in this sutra, uh, Buddha describes his enlightenment. And he says it happens in three stages. 
though the third stage is just enlightenment. But the first two are interesting. So he says, during the first stage, Buddha discovers all of his past lives and the nature of rebirth. During the second stage, he discovers the law of karma, and he understands that everything impacts everything else. And then the third stage, he achieves enlightenment, which is based on those first two stages. So what, what does it mean? What happens that allows him to become enlightened and break this delusion of consciousness? So when you discover all your past lives and the nature of rebirth, what you discover is that you don't actually have past lives. It's not that Ryan lived multiple lives before, and today he's in the Ryan life. Because that would mean that there's something essential about Ryan that was Ryan, I don't know, let's say it's Ryan point. Have you seen his dad, though? <laughs> <laughs> but, but his dad's still there, right? So that's not, again, it's not a rebirth. So it's not that there's a Ryan that was Ryan point O and Ryan point one and Ryan point one point O and one point. It's that the universe is constantly birthing and all of those births are part of who we are and it's the universe that reincarnates, if you like, but not you and I as individuals. Right? There's no Rami that lived before. When you understand the nature of rebirth, you understand that it's the universe that rebirths, and you're part of that rebirth. You're, you don't have a, a unique, separate soul that is reborn over and over and over again. The best analogy is the Hindu one of the ocean and the wave. The ocean constantly waves, but it never waves the same wave twice. So you're just a wave of this current iteration of the ocean. But when your wave dies, you're done. But you're not just that wave. You are the ocean. That's what Buddha realizes. You are the whole. Einstein starts out, a human being is part of the whole. What enlightenment awakens us to is the fact that we are not just this. We are the whole. Okay. So, when you realize you're the whole, the delusion starts to shatter. Then he discovers um, the nature of karma. According to Buddhism, there's no doer. There's just doing. The idea that you do something all by yourself as a separate being is an illusion because there's no such thing as a separate being. The universe is one whole of which you are a part. You don't, you don't exist as a separate being. You can't exist as a separate being. Physically, you are dependent on all of nature for your survival at any given moment. Psychologically, you're interacting with uh, all kinds of other um, factors that, that give you the thoughts and things that you, that you have in your mind at any given moment. So the idea is all kinds of things are happening, all kinds of things are being done, but you're not doing them as an isolated individual. So karma is not something happening to you. Karma is that things are happening with you. You're a part of this larger happening. So again, it's shattering the notion of your separate self, which is Einstein's delusion. So these two things, <clears throat> the notion of rebirth, that you're part of the whole, the notion of karma, that you're part of the whole, shatters the, the delusion of separateness and the idea of dualistic, uh, of, of duality, dualism. And that puts an end to the madness of this optical delusion of consciousness. The way Buddha puts it 
Buddha puts it this way in the, in the sutra. <clears throat> he says, my heart was awakened. I was freed from the suffering caused by the delusion of a separate self. I was freed from the suffering caused by the delusion of birth and death. I was freed from the suffering caused by ignorance, because he was no longer trapped in, in the delusion. With this freedom came knowledge. <clears throat> I discerned that birth is ended, life is fulfilled, the task is completed, and there is no nothing further to be done. Right? He's, he's did it. He did it. He, he awoke. Now you can have peace on earth. Because he's gotten over the illusion that feeds our violent tendencies. We have yet to do that. If we had done what, you know, when we were kids, singing in the chorus behind John Lennon, if we had achieved what Buddha had achieved, there would be peace on earth. The war would be over. All wars would be over. The, the madness of the ecological collapse would be over. And we just had COP, what was the number, 26? I think, is that right? The latest, the latest uh, global climate gathering. And we were so excited. We made some huge breakthroughs. But in a recent column by David Wallace Wells, he, write, he writes that we're so excited because we're going to hit peak um, fossil fuel use. And then we're going to plateau for, for years. And so but we're going we're to achieve somewhere between two and three degrees Celsius rise, which used to be horrifying to us. But now we're saying, wow, what an achievement. So we've simply moved the Overton window. We simply adjusted ourselves to the hellscape that's coming and said, oh, it's going to be just fine. So we simply accustomed, or, or I was going to say acclimatized ourselves. That's, that's bad. We simply made peace with the fact. Say that. We should yeah. say that, yeah? We've acclimatized ourselves to the disaster, of, to the climate that we've created. And we're doing the same with war. We do the same with all this madness that we've created because we live under this delusion. So what you have to do, and you have to do it now, we've got today's, what's today's date? The 17th. So we got a little, we got like maybe, what, two weeks left of the year? <clears throat> so before the year is out, you have to get enlightened. <laughs> Otherwise, next year is just going to be the same as this year. So that's the work. Thanks. <laughs> so I could leave you with that lovely thought, or I found a shortcut. I found a shortcut. The shortcut comes from a story by a rabbi in the 1700s named Nachman of Breslau. So Nachman of Breslov was this crazy Hasidic rabbi. He's the great-grandson of the founder of Hasidism. And he was just a wonderful rabbi. He had followers, and he taught the Torah like all the rest of them did. And he had this desire to go to Israel and make a pilgrimage. And he got there, and as soon as his boat landed in, uh, in Akko, he got off the boat, and he said, well, I did it. I'm going home. And instead, now the way I was taught this story, instead he met some Sufi, a, a Muslim mystic, and they went off together. And he was gone for months. And then he came back, and then he went home. And he stopped teaching the Bible. And he said, that isn't working anymore. I'm going to tell stories. And for the rest of his life, he told stories. And 13 of them seemed to be his main set of teachings. 
And he said that most people tell stories to put other people to sleep. Like you tell little kids stories before they go to bed. He says, I'm going to tell stories that wake people up. And his stories, if you read them, were like, they sound like Grimm's fairy tales, but they're a little twisted. And he said that my stories are the archetypal versions of folk, world folk tales, but I've put them back the way they originally were meant to be told so that they, are, they leave you with the opportunity to wake up. So I'm going to tell you one of his stories. It's short, and it'll leave you with a practice that you can do between now and the end of the year that will solve all of our problems. <laughs> so the story is called Tainted Wheat. And according to this story, and all of his stories have, you know, there are kings and princesses and all this. So this is about a king and the king's astrologer. So the king's astrologer comes to the king and he says, I have forecast that this, this year's wheat crop is poisoned. And anyone who eats from this year's wheat crop will go insane. And we only have enough wheat crop to save a couple of people from last year. So the astrologer says to the king, you and I ought to eat the, the safe wheat and everyone else will go insane. And the king says, no, you can't do that because they'll all be insane. But because they're all insane, they'll think they're sane because they'll all be insane. And they'll look at each other and since they're all insane, they'll define sanity as their insanity, right? You follow that? Because they're all insane. They'll look at us who are the only really sane people, and they'll think we're insane. So that won't work. So we have to eat the poisoned wheat also so that everybody's insane. But we have to do something so that we'll know that we're insane. You follow that? Okay. So what he says, the king says to the astrologers, we have to put a mark on our heads so that every time we see the mark, it will remind us that we are insane. And that's how we're going to get through this. So take it back to Einstein. We're all locked into this delusion of consciousness. You could spend a lifetime, like the Buddha, and trying to free yourself from the delusion. Or you could put a mark on your head that says you are insane. You think you're separate, you're living in this delusion, but it's a delusion. Your church won't tell you that, your politics won't tell you that, your professors won't tell you that, because they're all stuck in the delusion. But there's a mark, and every time you see this mark, it'll remind you that the delusion isn't real. It's a delusion. You got it? You follow it? So you're going to have to come up with some kind of mark. So here's my suggestion. Now, lots of people have told me how to do this in different ways. You could actually, if you have a partner, go to Mexico and actually put a mark on Matthew's head. So every time you see him, oh, yeah, <laughs> right, I'm insane. <laughs> and if you're having a bad, a bad you know, cruise, you can go, I'm insane being with this guy. And, okay, but that's not what I have in mind. Right? So you could put a mark on someone you trust head and, put, and they could put a mark on your head. So every time you actually see a person. But one of my teachers said, that's a little risky. He says, put a mark on your mirror in the bathroom. So every time you go in the bathroom and you look at yourself in the mirror, you'll see the mark on your forehead. 
You follow that? So you look in the mirror, you're going to go brush your teeth, and you look at yourself in the mirror, and your reflection has the mark on it. You know, just a little wax piece of, uh, you know, crayon or something. And you see the mark, and it's going to say to you, my worldview is false. Everything I think, that's, that's separating me from the truth. Everything, the delusion of consciousness that, let me give it to you again from Einstein, um, that leads me to believe I am a, uh, a part from, rather than a part of, the whole of creation. Everything that leads me to think that I'm a part, a separate part, is wrong. Every time I walk into the bathroom, I'm going to see my reflection in the mirror, I'm going to see that dot, and go, yeah, that's right. I remember. I'm nuts. Everything I think is nuts. Now, you don't have to meditate. All you have to do is plant the seed that you're nuts in the idea that you're not nuts. And you will, according to this theory, you will undermine your faith in your false delusional consciousness. And that's enough to free yourself from it. You'll plant the seed of doubt in the surety that you're right, that you are who you think you are. And that doubt is enough to free yourself for the truth, that you are part, you are part of this greater whole. And that will be enough to have you question everything you hear on, you know, from, from all of our teachers, all of your gurus, all of your um, pundits on, on uh, television all your podcast people, I mean, you know, I'm just thinking of all the things that I spend my day doing. It'll have you question all of them. Are they teaching me things that make me separate or are they helping me connect? And everything that makes me feel separate, when I see that dot, that's not true. I know that's not true. I'm reminding myself it's not true because the truth is the greater oneness of all things. And that is my Hanukkah Christmas Bodhi Day gift, <laughs> Kwanzaa gift to all of you. Thank you.